Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 48 The Tabuk Campaign and Farewell Pilgrimage The Battle of Hunayn after the liberation of Mecca, people started embracing God's faith in crowds. The idolaters decided to make a last-ditch attempt against Islam and the Muslims. The Hawazin tribe was the second greatest power among the Arabs after Quraysh, and there was always a rivalry between the two tribes. After the Muslims entered Mecca triumphantly, the lords of the Havazin thought the Prophet would launch a campaign against them now. They therefore decided to prepare well and rushed to mount as large an army as possible. They persuaded the Thaqif tribe warriors to join them in that decisive battle. They chose Malik ibn Auf al-Nasri as the commander, and he ordered them to march to battlefield with their assets, families, and cattle, so that they would be motivated to the maximum. Awaiting conflict, they gathered an army of twenty to thirty thousand strong. When he heard of the preparations, the Prophet, peace be upon him, decided to launch a military campaign with the troops that were in Mecca. Those were the 10,000 companions who participated in the liberation of Mecca and 2,000 Muslim converts from Mecca, that is 12,000 troops in total. They were delighted with their strength and some said, Today we shall not be defeated, as we'll not be outnumbered. The campaign happened in the month of Shawwal, the eighth year of Enoah Hijrai, or late January 630 CE, immediately after the liberation of Mecca. When they arrived in the valley of Hunayn, a location more than 10 miles away from Mecca, from the direction of Arafah, in the early morning they were attacked by the Hawazin warriors and their confederates. The Muslims were surprised by the attack, and many started retreating. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the revelation. God has helped you, believers, on many battlefields, even on the day of the Battle of Hunayn. You were well pleased with your large numbers, but they were of no use to you. The earth seemed to close in on you, despite its spaciousness, and you turned tail and flat. Then God sent his calm down to his messenger and the believers, and he sent down invisible forces. He punished the disbelievers. This is what the disbelievers deserve. The ninth chapter, verse 25 and 26. Another reason that made many give up the fighting was the news that the Prophet was killed. When they heard it, many Muslims threw their weapons and started fleeing. Naturally, this was misinformation, whose objective was to break the Muslim army. The Prophet ordered his uncle Abbas, who had a strong voice, to make it known to the people that he was alive. 
One group started gathering around the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he halted the idolaters, advanced and launched a counter-attack. The other Muslims followed suit, and after realizing that the Prophet was alive, they resolutely engaged in the battle and defeated the enemy. The Muslims won enormous spoils in that campaign. 6,000 captives, 24,000 camels, more than 40,000 sheep, and 4,000 ounces of silver. The Prophet afterward divided it, giving a considerable share to the new converts from Mecca, such as Abu Sufyan. In that way, he tried to win their hearts over for Islam. Among the captives was Shayma, the Prophet's sister in nursing from the Banu Sa'd tribe, whom he released immediately and sent back to her family with gifts and Asgard. After the defeat, the majority of the idolaters fled to Taif, the capital of the Thaqif tribe, where they fortified themselves together with their commander Malik ibn Auf. The Prophet ordered the Muslim army to go after them and besiege them. The siege lasted for a long while, and on that occasion the Prophet used the catapult for the first time. In an attempt to reduce casualties, he pledged that whoever of the idolaters left the fortified city would be free and safe. The siege was terminated when the Prophet, peace be upon him, wishing to avoid major bloodshed, ordered the Muslims to withdraw and leave the Taif citizens inside. After that, the Prophet returned to Jirana, where he distributed the spoils of the Battle of Hunayn. He showed great generosity and mercy to the captives from the Havasin tribe. Many of them were set free. Moreover, the Prophet personally intervened in favor of some. Famous female companion Umm Sulaim bint Milhan, mother of the prominent companion Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, also participated in the Battle of Hunayn. She participated in it together with her husband Abu Talha, with a garment wrapped around her belly as she was pregnant. She carried a little curved dagger on her, and when her husband, Abu Talha, asked her why she was carrying it, she said, I carry it in order to rip open any idolater who comes near. Hers is an example of the extraordinary readiness for personal sacrifice on the part of the first generations of Muslim women. The Tabuk Campaign after that, the Prophet performed the lesser pilgrimage in the month of Zulqadah, and at the end of that month, or the beginning of Zulhijjah, returned to Medina. He was in Medina until the month of Rajab next year, the ninth year of Enohijrai. He then ordered preparations for a great military campaign against the Byzantines. That campaign, also called the Battle of Distress, Ghazatul Usra, or Salatul Usra, took place in Rajab, the ninth year of Enohidrai. Rajab began on the 14th of October, 630 CE. The biographers state that the Byzantine emperor Heraclius could not forget the battle at Muta, which made the Muslims famous. 
Also, the Arab tribes in the north of the Arabian Peninsula, which had been loyal to Byzantium earlier, grew ever more attracted to Muslims. This caused a threat and instability on the border of the Byzantine Empire. Heraclius therefore regarded a defeat of the Muslims to be the only way to prevent them from growing into a force impossible to conquer. He ordered mobilization of a huge army that would launch a campaign aimed at destroying the nascent Muslim state. When the Prophet, peace be upon him, was informed of the intentions of the Byzantine army, he started preparations for that difficult and remote campaign. That period was very unfavorable for everyone, as there was a drought that year, it was very hot, and shortages reigned. The Prophet would usually not disclose the destination of a new military campaign, but would rather make allusions to it and mention some direction other than the intended one. However, he did differently in the case of the Tabu campaign. He announced it to the people overtly, as the journey there was to be a long and hard one, and the future of the whole Muslim community depended on it. For all these reasons, it was necessary for the people to make the preparations like no other. The Prophet proclaimed general mobilization. All but three devout believers heeded the call. The Prophet appealed on the affluent men to provide equipment and provisions for the army, and they responded by giving considerable wealth in the way of God. Abu Bakr brought his whole wealth of 40,000 silver coins. Umar contributed half his wealth, and Uthman contributed so much money and so many camels that one-third of the army could be equipped out of his donation alone. For that reason, the Prophet said, From this day nothing will harm Uthman, whatever he does. A group of poor men who did not have any riding animal came to the Prophet to ask for them, but he told them, I have nothing to give to you. They went back weeping, because they could not take part in that great campaign for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would bestow a valuable reward. Around eighty Hippocrates did not take part in the Tabuk campaign. They tried to talk the people out of it, saying, Why would you go at such heat? Several verses about them and their scheming were revealed in Surah 9. Repentance, at tawbah whose other name is the Disgracer, Al-Fadiha, because it revealed the true face of the Hippocrates and disgraced them. Among the ones who stayed behind were four honest companions, Kab ibn Malik, Murara ibn Arabi, Hilal ibn Umayyah, and Abu Haytameh. The first three men stayed in Medina for no particular reason, and they are known as the three who stayed away. After their genuine repentance and the Prophet's order that they be isolated, which lasted fifty days, the following verses were revealed. (laughs) 
in his mercy, God has turned to the prophet and the emigrants and helpers who followed him in the hour of adversity, when some hearts almost wavered. He has turned to them. He's most kind and merciful to them. And to the three men who stayed behind, when the earth for all its spaciousness closed in around them, when their very souls closed in around them, when they realized that the only refugee from God was with him, he turned to them in mercy, in order for them to return to him. God is the ever-relenting, the most merciful. The Ninth Chapter, 117 and 118 after the Prophet, peace be upon him, had marched away with the troops, Ebu Haytama exclaimed, The messenger of God is out there, under the scorching sun and hot wind. While Ebu Haytama is here, in his own estate, in the pleasant shade, with meals prepared and a beautiful wife, this is not right, by God. I will not enter a hut of any wife of mine until I join the messenger of God, prepare the provisions for a journey. And he set off and caught up with the prophet at Tabuk. The prophet set out with thirty thousand troops, including ten thousand horsemen. That was the mightiest force that Arabs had ever seen. They made an encampment at Tabuk and stayed there for twenty nights. However, there was no direct clash, as the chiefs of the Arabs who lived at the border with Byzantium came to see the prophet at his camp at Tabuk, agreed to pay the yearly tribute, Jizya, and entered a security treaty containing provisions on the security of borders, waters, and roads, and a guarantee for the benefit of both sides. After that, the Prophet returned to Medina with the troops. The Tabuk campaign was the last military campaign undertaken by the Messenger of God. Famous Indian scholar Sheikh Abul Hassan and Nedwi writes in his Sirah, The campaign at Tabuk marked the end of the Prophet's military campaigns, Al-Ghazawat, 27 in total. There were sixteen stances of dispatching small units and reconnaissance missions, but not everyone included actual fighting. There were no more than one thousand and eighteen casualties on both sides in all of the campaigns, and only God knows how many times bloodshed was prevented. Safety prevailed across the Arabian Peninsula, so even a woman could travel alone from Hira, a mountain in Iraq, to the Kaaba to do the ritual circumambulation without fearing anyone but God Almighty. Lessons from the Tabuk Campaign Many lessons may be drawn from the Tabuk campaign as we shall present the most important ones. 1. As all biographers state, the motive for the invasion of Tabuk was the fact that in El-Sham the Byzantines mounted a vast army for which Heraclius secured a year's supplies in advance. They were joined by the Arab tribes 
of Lahm, Judhem, Gassan, and Amila. Their advance party marched to Al-Balqa, located between Al-Sham and Wadi Al-Qura. When the Prophet learned this, he called the people to get ready to march to Tabuk and call the affluent ones to make contributions. This explains the nature of war in Islam. It is not a war of provocation or aggression, but a war to defend the religion and state, deter and prevent an aggressor from causing disorder and inflicting damage. Many verses of the Qur'an and hadith of God's Messenger refer to it. 2. The Prophet's call to battle came at the time of short ages, great heat, and fruit harvesting. Devout believers rushed to heed the call, disregarding the difficulties, whereas the Hippocrates stayed away offering various excuses. This is how devout believers are distinguished from the Hippocrates in times of trouble. Allah said. Alif, Lam, Mim. Do people think they will be left alone after saying, We believe without being put to the test. We tested those who went before them. God will certainly mark out which ones are truthful and which are lying. The 29th chapter, verses from 1 to 3. Missions may succeed and communities may be established only after they get rid of Hippocrates and impostors, as only the resolute and the sincere ones who have faith in an idea remain steadfast in troubles. It often happens that weak people and impostors pose an obstacle on the path of renaissance and render its triumph impossible or cause its delay. The army that marched to Tabuk was rid of such persons owing to the fact that their true faces, weakness of their faith, and indecisiveness were revealed. An army that presents a united front and firmly believes in the truthfulness of its fighting cause, even if small in size, is more useful to a community and closer to victory than a huge army with a different degree of belief, strength, and steadfastness within its ranks. How often a small force has defeated a large army with God's permission. God is with those who are steadfast. The second chapter, verse 249. 3. The prompt response of the companions such as Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman to the Prophet's appeal to make contributions from personal wealth is an indication of what faith may do in the souls of followers in terms of encouraging them to do good and fight their passions and instincts, and that is what every community and every moment needs in order to triumph over opponents and to secure the sources of funding. The Muslim community dearly needs it nowadays. The opponents are multiple, the problems are huge, the battle is merciless, and the adversary is strong and perfidious, and we can prevail only with additional sacrifice of wealth, life, passions, and indulgence.
This can be done only by true faith, the one that will educate the believers to regard the investing of their own wealth and the enduring of hardships in the name of the community as jihad. The struggle that God rewards equally as he rewards soldiers in battlefield. The best that the protagonists of Islamic transformation can do is to implant faith into people's hearts. 4. The case involving the men who came to the Prophet, asking him to take them to the campaign, but whom he turned back, as he could not find riding animals for them, whereupon they left his side in tears, is a most beautiful example of the miracles that faith can perform. This event is also referred to in the Qur'an. It is in human nature to rejoice at a rescue from danger or evasion of war. On the contrary, these devout believers cried as they were deprived of it, since they believed they would miss a great reward by Allah and an opportunity to become martyrs in His path. What other ideology can have the same impact on the souls of its followers that Islam had on the souls of these men? What a great pity that there are not enough men of that kind in the Muslim community nowadays. 5. The story of the three men who stayed behind and did not take part in the battle, although they were devout believers, contains an important social lessons. The three preferred enjoyment to exhaustion, pleasurable stay in shade to traveling in the heat. It did not take long for the faith to wake in their souls. They realized that they committed a grave sin by failing to join the Prophet and the faithful. However, that did not save them from punishment, which was strict and merciless. They were completely isolated from the community, and everyone, including their wives, was forbidden to communicate with them. When they sincerely repented and when their repentance, pain and grief reached climax, God forgave them. When they heard this, their joy knew no boundaries. One of them relinquished his whole wealth out of gratitude to God for his forgiveness and pleasure. The lesson for the believers is that they should not be satisfied with enjoyment while others suffer, and with comfort while their brethren in faith undergo difficult situations. Islam commands its followers to always be aware that they belong to one community, make a part of the whole, and that what is harmful to the community is harmful to individuals too.